Well, turn in your Bibles as we study First Peter this morning, and the Bible does have the answers to the heart and to the real problems that we all face as individuals, as couples, as families, as people who were made, who were created by God. And He alone knows the innermost and the deepest needs. Google doesn't. Siri doesn't. Michael Gates. Is it Michael Gates? Is that right? Bill Gates. Sorry. See, I'm so... I'm so it's pathetic. It is absolutely pathetic. Well, maybe his middle name is Michael. I don't know. Bill, Michael, I don't know. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. <clears throat> pray, pray for me. First Peter, as we look together in chapter 1 and study through the Word together, we begin this morning in verse 22, and we're going through verse 25. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned or sincere love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Lord, we need your spirit to help us understand what we've just read together. And not only to understand, but to, to internalize it, to, uh, Lord, to speak to the innermost being of each of us. A man can't do that. I can't do that. Lord, only by your spirit can you do that. And I ask that you would be our guide, Holy Spirit, this morning and our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you uh, keep your Bible open or you have it pulled up uh, on your iPhone, Brian, or whatever, no, you're still using a Bible, so you're not that far gone yet, so, okay. Um, we, see, uh, we see pretty easily what Peter is focusing in on this passage. First of all, look at verse 22, and you see the word, obeying the truth, the truth. And in verse 23, you see the phrase, the word of God. And then in verse 25, you see the word of the Lord, you see the word, and you see the gospel. So several times through this short passage, we get the understanding pretty clearly and pretty easily that the emphasis that Peter, by the Holy Spirit, is trying to communicate to us is the importance of the word of God. Would you agree with that, that that's what these verses are trying to relay to us? The, the Word of God is so unique and so important and so precious and has characteristics that nothing else in this world that we have has. Now, $18 billion, that's a chunk of change. That is a chunk of change. But you know what? It's passing away. Their next quarter may not be near as... Pro they may lose everything in five years. If you have Apple stock, you've probably made a killing over the last few years. But if you don't, don't worry, because what goes up usually comes down. And you say, well, even if it lasts 50 years and it goes up, the, the nature of everything in this world is it rises and it falls and it passes away. 
And that's what Peter is saying. That's what God is saying through his word. And so let's just kind of unpack that and look at that a little more in depth this morning. First of all, we're going to look at what is the emphasis, the perfect word of God. The perfect word of God. The words that he uses in these in these scriptures that we're looking at this morning, he uses every different Greek word that you can use to describe God speaking to us, God communicating to us. In verse 22, he uses the truth. And it's the word aletheia, the truth. What is true as opposed to that which is false, which is perverse, which is not right, not correct, in error. It is the truth because God declares it and because God has declared it it is the truth which stands above all other in verse 23 he uses the phrase the word of God and we're very familiar with that and and we think of the word of God but when Peter was speaking to these first century Gentile believers the word of God that he was speaking of that would probably come to their mind would be what probably the Old Testament the canon of the Old Testament, the entirety of the Old Testament. And so I believe Peter, by the Holy Spirit, is drawing a connection and tying together the Old Testament, of which the Gentiles might have looked at as the Jewish scriptures. Well, those are for the Jews. We're Gentiles. And remember, there was a division early on. The Jews thought, well, the Gentiles can't receive the same salvation. They're not the covenant people of God. And then God used a specific individual to tie the two together and say, nope, there's no such thing as Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. They're just Christians, Christ followers. And remember whom God used to do that? Peter. And so I think that is what's happening here because 1 Peter is primarily written to Gentile believers who were scattered in different regions of the Roman Empire. And so he's using what would commonly be used by early Christians, the Word of God, and it is the Logos, the the comprehensive communication of God speaking to people. And God speaks to us so we'll know who He is and what He's like and what He's doing. And how do we know Him? How do we have a relationship with Him? So God has spoken through the Word. It is the Logos. And we know that John used that word Logos to point to the definitive, final communication of God in the person of who? Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, which he uses the word Logos. The final word. The comprehensive word. It is the word above all other. It's the communication of God. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. I'm about redemption. I'm about mercy. I'm about grace. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the Logos, the word was God. And the word became flesh. The Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten Son of God. So that is the word of God. I think it's interesting there. Turn with me and keep your place in 1 Peter. Where we look over in Acts chapter 10. And in this, what some is called the Gentile Pentecost. 
where the Gentiles received the gospel. They received the Holy Spirit. God poured out His Spirit upon a group of Gentile believers in exactly the same way as He poured out on the day of Pentecost to the Jewish believers that were gathered there for the Passover in Jerusalem. And after God did this work, or while God was doing this work and He used Peter to do it, Peter preached a message to these Gentiles who were seeking after God. And look at what he said in verse 34 of Acts 10. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, there's the word aletheia that he used in verse 22, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word, logos, which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all, the curios. That word, and he uses a different word that we're going to look at in just a moment. That word, I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and the power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed to the devil, for God was with him. And we're witnesses of all these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. So Peter is actually referring back to what he spoke to the Gentiles as he's writing here in 1 Peter. And he's using some of the words and he's making a connection between the New Testament scriptures, which God was using the disciples, the followers of Christ to write, and the Old Testament. He was actually, by the Holy Spirit, linking the two, the Old Testament, the Word of God, and the New Testament, which was being written as the Word of God the Logos. So I think that's important to understand as we're reading what Peter wrote in this, in this book that we're studying together. So the Word of God, Logos, and then the Word of the Lord. The word there is used, Rhema. It is a more specific word. Logos is a comprehensive, the Word of God. Rhema is a specific word from God and as you see it used through the Scripture for a specific time, spoken many times to specific individuals, but it is the Word of God coming in power specifically. It's a more narrowly defined use of the Word of God, the rhema, the Word of the Lord. And what Peter was saying, the Word of the Lord, the kurios, is for you. He is your Master. He is your Lord. And the specific word that all of the Logos, all of Scripture is directly pointing to is the gospel, the good news. And he uses that word, evangelion, the good news. So he uses all of these words to bring it down to the most important word for any of us, and that is, God has sent His Son so that I might have eternal life. By His death on the cross, my sins can be forgiven. I can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the good news. And that's the rhema that I can be forgiven by what the Logos, the Word, has done for me. And that's the truth, the aletheia of God for every one of us. Well, it is, as we see here, it's perfect 
and it's incorruptible. It's indestructible. Do you see that? Being born again in verse 23, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Jesus, when he talked about the seed and the sower going out spreading the seed, do you remember that? And he was talking about it falling on different types of soil. He said very plainly in Matthew 6, he said, the seed is what? The Word of God. And although different soil produces different types of fruit, the seed itself is incorruptible. Now you think about that. Of all the things that can be touched and tainted by men and ruined by men and written by men or torn down or criticized by men and Christianity has been perverted and there have been people who have not been sincere that have taken it and misused it and taken it out of context and used it for their own selfish purposes. But through all of the centuries of men being able to try to tear apart the Word of God or to attack it or to criticize it or say it's not the Word of God, it remains incorruptible. Do you believe that? Do you believe it stands alone? Now you can read any other book, any other book that man has written. You could read any other religious book. There is nothing that even remotely compares to the Word of God that you and I hold in our hands this morning or that we know. Nothing. Hindu has a collection of sayings. Uh, uh, Buddhism has Buddha's sayings. But there's nothing that can be compared. The Koran has Muhammad, the prophet, his sayings and things that were written by him. But there is nothing that compares in almost every way that you can turn it and look at it like a diamond, looking at the different facets as you turn it and the light shines. And it's different, but it's beautiful and it's valuable in every way. The Word of God, no matter how you turn it, it stands above. It transcends every other book that has ever been written. You say, how so? Well, there's, we could spend a long time on this, and we've done this before, but just by way of quick review, I mean, written over several centuries, written in different settings and cultures, written by men who were different men in their personalities and what they were going through, lived in different centuries. But it was written and it spans many centuries, but it's one book, it's 66 books that are woven together with a common thread and a common theme. There is nothing else like it in all of the world. It's, it's incomparable. And it's indestructible. It's, it, it stands the test of time. And he goes on to describe how everything else that we experience in the world, and he said it's like a field of grass. Everything in the world, including us, is, is just like a field of grass. It grows up, and for a short period of time, it's alive, it's green, it's flourishing. And even in some of the grass... We would call them weeds in the grass, but they might even flower and might even be beautiful and have little yellow flowers or little blue flowers or whatever. And then they fade and fall away and it's gone. In comparison to everything else, not only all the books that are written, everything, all the fortunes of Apple or any other uh, individual or company, in comparison to everything, it stands alone as imperishable and incorruptible, unchanging and unchangeable. Now that's pretty important. 
in a day where everything is changing so rapidly around us. That's pretty important in a life where you go through seasons of change in your life. All, I mean, just you may feel like some of you who are parents of young children, when will this ever end? And you think, well, the, the, this, this season will, it, it does. It goes by, believe me, rapidly, more rapidly than you can imagine. And so life is changing, our life is changing, our relationships change and shift and are different. Everything changes. People that we love, they pass on, they're gone from our lives. Things that we've loved and cherished, things that we've enjoyed doing, we're no longer able to do. Life shifts and change. That's the nature of it. It's always passing away. Fred, just while I've been talking, do you know how many brain cells of yours and mine has died? We don't, we don't even want to know. When we get our age, I mean, they just, their brain cells are dying rapidly. And some of you are hearing me and say, I think I, I think I can feel that happening right now. We're passing away. It's the very nature of life. And Peter's using that illustration. In fact, I think he's referring back to uh, Matthew 6. So turn there with me if you would. In Matthew 6, and Jesus is speaking here in his very first message. Matthew 6. Verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. <laughs> what? Take no thought for your life? That's all we spend time doing is thinking, what are we going to do here? How are we going to pay for this? How are we going to deal with this? How are we going to deal with that? What about this? This has happened. And yet we have Jesus saying, take no thought for your life. How hard is that to do? He goes on to say, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on it. Is not life more than meat and the body more than the clothes that you put on? And Jesus is making a very strong point. He's saying, where are most of our thoughts? Where are they concentrated on most of these physical things? And that's just pretty normal and natural. But he's saying there's much more important things that we ought to think about. Behold the fowls of the air, the birds, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. When's the last time you saw a sparrow? And he had a little nest, and then over beside his nest, he had a little barn built. You know, Jesus said, you've never seen that. They don't have barns. None of them do. And then he says, are you not much better than they are? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit, about 18 inches, to your stature? Can you all make yourself taller or thinner by thinking it? I'm just, I'm thinking thin this week. I'm thinner. You can't, you can't do it. You've got to take some other action. Can you add to your height by thinking, well, I, I feel taller. I think I am taller. No, probably not, unless you're at a growth spurt like some of our young ones, and then they might actually grow a little bit uh, each week, and sometimes you could almost see that. And why take you thought for your clothes? Then he says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil, neither do they spend. Neither do they spin or weave their own clothes. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon, he was the, not Michael Gates, but he was the Bill Gates of that day. I mean, everyone knew of Solomon. Not only everyone who was Jewish, everyone in the world. Remember, 
kings and princes from other nations would come to check on Solomon's wealth and splendor and all that he had. There was nobody that could compare to Solomon. And Jesus brings him up and say, there's nobody that was more wealthy, wore better clothes, had more stuff, had better stuff, nobody than Solomon. And yet Jesus said one simple flower that God put the color into it and that God designed the pattern of that flower is greater than Solomon's splendor and glory. Now Jesus said that. Was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which Peter spoke about, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? And you can go and continue to read that. And he says, Here's what you need to think about. Are you right with God? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things. God will graciously and lovingly provide for you. That's what you need to think. Am I right with God? Am I right with others? How do I get right with God? How do I know that I'm right with God? Those are the things that need to be the most serious thoughts that we think about. I did. I ran some numbers on Solomon's glory and Solomon's wealth. This is just me and you talking, Jeremy. Solomon, I read about it in Second Chronicles 9. You all go check this out when you get time. This was a kind of an annual review of how much he took in in one year, just one year. And you run the numbers because it gives you all the weight that he took in of the gold that was just the gold. I think there may have been some silver included. But if you run just the gold based on today, $1,300 an ounce. I don't know how much it is. I don't have any gold. But is it somewhere, you know, it's somewhere around $1,300, high or low above that. So if you run the numbers on how much weight of gold he took in one year, $1,300 an ounce, he would have taken in $1.9 billion of revenue in just that one year that's recorded in Second Chronicles 9. And then you look at what was taken in just an average year. That was kind of a really good year. The average year, he would take in around a billion dollars a year. That's doing pretty well. How many of you all think that this year probably is looking like that for you? Probably not so much. And yet Jesus brought up Solomon and said, Hey guys, I'm going to lift up to you and hold up to you the guy who had more than anybody that has ever had, that everybody talks about as the the richest, the wealthiest, the best clothes, the best stuff. And he said, here he is, and then here is a little flower that's out there in the grass in the field. He said, that flower has more and has been dressed better than Solomon in all of his glory. Now, what are you going to think about? What's going to dominate your thinking and your mind? That's why the Word of God is so important, because the Word of God speaks to our heart. It speaks to our thoughts, our innermost being. What we're, what we're thinking about that we don't need to think about. What we are not thinking about that we need to concentrate on. And the Word of God keeps our thinking, keeps our heart where it ought to be. It is incorruptible, it's indestructible, it's incomparable. It is the Word of God. It's not from man. It is through the Holy Spirit to men, but it is from God revealing who He is. So that is, it is incomparable in content. It is incomparable in the way it's communicated. Do you see that in 1 Peter, back in 1 Peter? It is through the Spirit. The Word of God that you and I, now now people lose this today, and even people in churches 
don't even look at this and it doesn't even seem to be important, but the Word of God is theonoustos. It is God-breathed. The Holy Spirit of God actually gave us the exact communication that God wanted us to know. Do you believe that? That's pretty incredible. That is pretty incredible. Now there are people that pitifully, they... They, they rush online, I guess. They used to go to the paper. Now they rush online and they check out their horoscope for the day. Okay, here's my horoscope for the day. Well, I'm kind of scared to get out. It looks like it's going to be a bad day if I try to do this. I don't need to do it. And, and isn't, that, isn't that kind of pathetic? God has spoken to us. Think of how incredible that is. The God who made us and the God who made all that is He communicated us through His Word. It's incomparable in its form of communication. It is incomparable in its characteristics. Verse 23 said, Liveth and abideth forever. It is alive. It's living. Have you ever had the Word of God speak to you where you were? Very specific time. In a very specific... It's almost as if God knew exactly where you were and what you were going through and where your heart was. Isn't that what it's kind of like? And you think, wait a minute. He does know exactly where I am and where my heart is and what I'm going through. And His Word, which was written centuries ago by men who lived halfway across the world, far different cultures, we know it it wasn't just men, it was God communicating in a miraculous way and preserving for us the very words that God wanted us to know. But it's not just static. It's not just an old dusty book with some sayings of men who lived a long time ago that may have been wise men. It is living. It's alive. It speaks to us right now in our lives. Now some of you say, well, preacher, I've never had that experience. Well, there may be a reason for that. Maybe because you've never entered into a personal relationship with this God who communicates His Word. But He is communicating to you. He's saying, come to me. He's speaking to you. Draw near to me. Child, follow me. Accept what I've done for you. That's where the relationship begins. And Peter goes to that too in this passage, but it is incomparable in its characteristics. It is not only living, it is life-giving. Hebrews 4.12 talks about the Word of God being alive, but it is life-giving. It's through the Word of God that Peter says, by this incorruptible seed, that what happens? We, We can be born again. Being born again by this Word of God that lives. It is living and it is life-giving. It's not only that, it is relevant. Everything else is passing away. The Word of God remains relevant, applicable. It is, it is just as important for us in the 21st century as it was to the believers in the 1st century, as it was to those who took God's Word and applied it to their heart in the 10th century. And it'll be the same if the Lord tarries two more centuries. Ten more centuries. The Word of God endures. It is relevant. It is lasting eternally. Nothing else like that. Nothing else that has the importance of that. It's not only eternal. It's not only relevant. It is purifying. See that? Purified by the truth. Has there ever been a time in your life 
where the word of God is spoken to you and revealed to you, taken the mirror and pointed it back at you and revealed to you where your heart was, that it wasn't right with God who made you and God who desired for you to be right with him. Has God ever showed you that you're wrong in your reactions, you're wrong in your attitudes toward others, and you didn't even realize it until God pointed it out? See, it's purifying through obedience to the truth. Our souls, our innermost being is purified. Now, anyone can say they're a Christian, and it's pretty easy to act like a Christian because you're not going to be persecuted for it. You can go to church. You can have your radio station set on K-Love. You can go to Christian websites and check out Christian things. You can talk in a Christian language. It is so easy for people to act like a Christian and convince themselves and convince others that they're Christians. And in reality, not truly be followers of Christ. See, Peter talked about something much deeper than just a surface Christianity. He said, purifying your innermost being. Christianity works from the inside out at the very depth of your soul. And it goes out to every other part of your life. Every relationship. Everything that your life touches. But we want to work on the surface and try to keep up appearances, but that's not how it works. That's not what God desires to do. It is saving, being born again. It is good news. Well, here's the thing that I want you to know about the word as we finish up kind of looking at that. That I think look look with me if you would in verse 25. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. This is the word which by the gospel is preached. And what does it say? To you. The Word of God, unlike anything else, is not only powerful and eternal and enduring and relevant, and all those things that we talked about. Asher may not like this, may not be pleased with it, but Asher, it is personal. It's to you. Have you ever had God speak to you? If you were to speak with God face to face, as a man speaks to a man, as God spoke to Abraham. By the way, we often think as the Bible is kind of to all Christians, or the Bible was written over a long period of time, and it's just kind of for everybody. We forget that God spoke to individuals, and they wrote down and recorded what God had said, and God preserved it for us. God is a very personal God. This isn't about church or about all Christians. It's about you. God speaking to you. Being born again is about an individual relationship with Almighty God who is a very personal God who personally communicates to you and to you and to you and to you and desires to communicate to your children. He is personal. And His Word is personal. Well, there's one other thing that we want to see from this passage before we wrap it up. And that is not only the perfect Word of God, but the pure heart of the child of God. Look at verse 22. Seeing that you have purified your souls, your innermost being, in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto sincere or unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. He uses the word soul and he uses the word heart. 
And he's talking about our mind, our soul, our innermost being, who we really are that nobody else knows but our maker and our God. Who we try to keep other people from knowing because we know we're not all that, that we want people to think that we are. But God knows. How do we have a pure heart? I want you to take down and look at later Acts 15. Because Peter again is speaking about this very same matter. And he uses the same phrase, purifying of the heart, as he's speaking to Gentile believers in a very important moment in church history. And it's in Acts 15. We're not going to go there. Do you remember what Psalm 24, that very important psalm, says? Who shall ascend to the holy hill of our God? Who can go into the very presence of God? Do you remember that? And what's the response of the psalmist? He who has what? Clean hands and what? A pure heart. Well, how in the world can I have clean hands and a pure heart? How can I enter into the presence of God, enter into relationship with God, ascend to the holy hill of the Lord? None of us can do that on our own. It's impossible. Leroy's heart is not pure on his own. My heart is dark. My heart is deceived. My heart is separated from a holy God by my sin and my rebellion. How can I enter into God's presence? How will I ever stand before God and give an account of my life in judgment? Who can ascend to the holy hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Well, what does it take to have a pure heart? In this passage, Peter says it starts with being born again. How, do, how are you born again? Well, first of all, you're not born again by the will of man, John says. In John chapter 1, verse 13, it's not the will of man that gives us a new birth. It's the will of God. You can't will yourself to be born again. God has to work the work of salvation in your heart. Well, how does that happen? First of all, you hear the truth. Then you believe the truth. Then you obey the truth. He said it's by the truth that we're purified. Each of us who are saved, first of all, we had to hear that Jesus died for our sins. Then we had to believe it and say, you know what, I believe that. I really, and then we had with our will say, I surrender to that. I give myself to the Lord who gave himself for me on the cross. And then we're born again. Well, how does that happen? How do we know it's happened? It's probably a better question. Larry, how do I know that you're born again? I can't get inside your heart and know what God did in your heart a long, long time ago. I, I, I cannot know that. But here's what Peter says. When someone truly has been born again, they've heard the word, they've believed the word, then they've received it and obeyed it. Here's how you can tell. Two ways that Peter gives here. Unfeigned or sincere love of the brethren. Sincere love. And then the second one, with a pure heart, fervently, serious love. You know what fervent means? This word fervent, it's a very interesting word. It's not used much in the New Testament. This is we're going to close today. And it is stretched to the limits. You will not know love. And in fact, one of the ways that God uses to sanctify us as believers is this command that we're to love others. Well, some people are pretty easy to love. It doesn't take much stretching at all. 
I mean, Brian, I mean, who wouldn't love Brian? Can you, is there, could you find anybody in the planet that would have anything against Brian, P, Brian P. Lamar? There is. I want to find those people. I want to, what's your problem with Brian? How can you have anything against Brian? It doesn't take stretching to the limits to love that serious. But then Gene. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. There, there are others that, that it, and I'm, I'm totally kidding. There are others that it really, I mean, it's trying to the soul. It, it, you have to, trust the grace of God. You have to ask God to help me. God, please help me to love this person. God, somebody's raising your hand. Don't do you? Lori, I don't know what you want to testify or whatever. Probably not a good idea at this point. But how God uses so often is not the people who are easiest to love in our lives, to purify us. And we have to obey the truth. We have to cling to the truth. We have to depend upon the truth. But it's those that stretch us to the limit where we have to say, oh God, I need your grace. I need your help. Lord, this person has done me wrong and you've said I need to forgive them. Lord, how do I, how, how do I live in a right way with a right heart and a right attitude toward this person who just seems, they're so hard to love, yet I know I'm supposed to, and it stretches you to the limit. That's loving with a pure heart fervently. And what it does is, it causes us to, to say, oh God, I need you. You see, the hardest, most difficult things in our life that God commanded us to do, and it seems like sometimes they're almost impossible to do, are the things which purify us to the greatest degree. The things which soaks us in His grace, washes us in His mercy and in His love. Sincere love. Serious love. Because it points to the one who loved us so much that he was literally stretched to the limits. You know what I'm saying? Our Lord, the Word of God in flesh, stretched to the limits for you, poured out love that we cannot comprehend. Behold, John said, what manner What type of love is this that God has bestowed, He's poured out upon those who love Him? Serious love. Serious love. Sincere. It's real. It's not produced, manufactured. It's sincere. That comes from being born again. Can't happen outside of being lashed to the cross. The life of Christ in me my life of death and rebellion and sin placed on Him. And He took care of the penalty there at the cross. And He pours His righteousness, His holiness into me. And now, I have had such a black heart, can have a pure heart. That's how we have a pure heart. Let's pray. You may be here this morning and God has just taken His searchlight of Scripture and He's just shined a light into your heart. It's not so pure as you want it to be, as you would like for it to be. But God wants to work a work of mercy and grace and forgiveness in your heart. And maybe through relationships with others, difficult relationships, hard to love people, God's revealed to you there needs to be a lot more purifying, sanctifying needs to go on in your life. A lot more growth needs to go on. 
all the answers, not in the iPhone this morning. In Christ, the Logos, the Word of God. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just take your, your people today, your children. Speak to them as only you can. Lord, for those whom you're maybe addressing some specific needs in their soul, in their heart. Lord, I pray that they would obey you. They would respond to you. Lord, I pray for couples. I pray for, I pray for young people here today, for children that need to have a pure heart. And Lord, each of us needs our hearts purified continually by obeying your word. God, drive that deep within our heart. We praise you and we love you that you have delivered us from death, that you have delivered us from our sins. Help us to love with a serious love that you demonstrated on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.